Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Mark Verstegen. Mark has devoted his life to human performance working with world-class athletes, the U.S. military, and leading corporations while reaching countless others through his multimedia Exos platform. He has shown millions how to upgrade their lives through his integrated systems of mindset, nutrition, movement, and recovery. Since launching his company with a single facility in Arizona in 1999, Verstegen has grown Exos into a global platform with 3,400 employees and a presence on six continents. Mark has served as the performance director for the NFL Players Association focused on player health and safety. He is also the author of six books, including Every Day is Game Day and Core Performance, which popularized integrated performance training. Mark is a consummate leader and his footprint on human performance looms large. I am honored to have him on the show today as he truly epitomizes the title of this podcast. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me. Absolutely honored to be here, Scott. Just before we got on, we were talking about one of your guys who was from Canada. And, you know, it struck me when you said that you've had a lot of Canadians work for you. And, you know, when I look at Slater and now Steph Underwood and these different guys, what's the attraction to Canadians or is there one? And, and what do you find unique about the, the Canadian spirit when they come down to work for you? Well, first of all, I grew up on the Canadian border near uh, Victoria and actually uh, worked in a little town called Swim, worked on the ship that went back and forth between Port Angeles and Victoria. So I spent all my summer nights in Victoria. So I probably uh, got brainwashed way back in the day <laughs> down near Sun Coast. Um, no, listen, for us, uh, it's always been about great core values, work ethic, and adding value as we continue to go through. And I'll tell you what, just the uh, really passionate about a lot of people that I've met from Canada, and I joke now and then that I think we have all five out of the six uh, Canadians working for us now, you you being the only one that we could never recruit south of the border. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. No, a great group of people and uh, always honored to have them. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit. Uh, well, a lot of bit, actually. I mean, I was actually, you know what I was surprised when I was looking at your uh, date of birth is I thought you were the same age or older than me. You are younger than me, which is kind of cool. So, uh I was I was taken to see that, and I'm going to circle back on that. But what was life all about for you when you were a kid? What did you dream about being when you were a little boy? Oh, wow. You know, it's uh, a couple of things. I grew up in uh, northwest Washington on the Olympic Peninsula, as I just mentioned. Uh, my dad's a high school principal, and uh, my mother was an English teacher and a counselor. I was the youngest of five. And, um, man, I, I dreamed a lot. I, one of my favorite books is where the red firm grows. And, you know, if it wasn't like 18 or 20 months later after mowing all these lawns that I saved up and got my uh, lab Mindy and, you know, we just like being out in nature and going. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, growing up with my family was always around values, the work ethic and the value you kind of brought to whatever you are involved with and appreciate mom and dad for uh, instilling that in me. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like the things I was passionate about, I didn't really realize that I had a lot of time to dream. When my, uh, my uh, two older brothers, my second one, uh, went to the Air Force Academy, uh, it was my turn to mow the lawn. I was about eight. And uh, dad said, hey, it's your turn. And I literally could hardly push this mower. I definitely couldn't really start it, but he got me started. And we, we had probably like, uh, it'd probably take my brothers like an hour and a half maybe two hours to push mow it like that's how much grass we had around it <laughs> and uh i went down there and dad's like hey here's how it works and 
fires it up, and I literally can hardly push it. He walks away, and he comes back, and uh, he's like, shuts off the mower, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I don't have to do it because I'm just too young. And he said, son, I also want to let you know if you ever want to use my mower to get some jobs around the neighborhood, I'll let you do that. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way I ever want to do that. I don't even want to do this one. And then he took about two more steps away, comes back, and he said, and I'll even pay for the gas. And the reason I bring that up is because I had a lot of time to dream about when I was a kid because I pushed the lawnmower a lot. Uh, fast forward, kind of getting into this entrepreneurial standpoint. Three years later, I had the nicest loss in our retirement community in SWIM, and I had mow my ballparks. It was awesome, but I had a lot of time to think and dream. It was about dogs. It was about mountain bikes. It's about flying. I love flying, following the, my brothers that way. So being outdoors. And uh, yeah, ultimately, I wrote a business plan for my mom and dad at age 11. And the premise of it was, hey, mom and dad, I'd like to take all my allowance that I'm going to have for the next whatever it was going to be, six years. And I'd like to take it up front now. And I know how much my oldest brother made and my sister and the chores they did and my middle brother and my other sister. And like, I'm going to take it today's rate. If I take all that money up front, it's going to be this amount. You're going to save like the cost of money because I'm not going to each year. I know it goes up like 50 cents a year per kid. Right. So I had that dialed and I took the money up front to buy a riding lawnmower. And that riding lawnmower allowed me then to, to further, uh, I mowed a grass airstrip, which I'll come back to later. That gave me a lot of time to think because my mowing deck was 32 inches wide. It was 60 yards wide and a half mile long. And the same thing for some of these other like low-income housing and these other pieces. And uh, I ran that out for quite some time with Dad. And finally, one day, we were down at the gas station. We're filling up all these containers of gas, right? Because he said he'd buy my gas. And he looks me right in the eye and he said, son, and I was making upwards of 25 bucks an hour for like mowing some of these different types of things. He said, son, it's about time for you to start paying for your own gas. I'd waited for that question for like three or four years. And I said, hey, dad, sorry, but no way. That was like the foundation of my entire business plan. That once I was able to buy the mowers, just my time, my effort, and I was able to put it all away and save for these future dreams, which I'm living today. And uh, it's really funny about the influence that our, you know, our parents and our teachers and all those have on us, like they don't realize it, but that's why I'm sitting here today. That's amazing. That's a great story. Who did you ever hire somebody when you were mowing lawns to work for you? Oh, no, no. I didn't need to. I was like me, sweat equity. I could just do it in between practices. We didn't keep our grades up. Oh, it's terrific. And I, and literally though, I, um, the one thing I found, Scott, was uh, I enjoyed that time. I'd put, you know, some music on or I'd just put some earplugs in and it would allow me truly to think. And I think start to develop a skill set of just logic chaining things out. Like if, you, if I make a decision and they start to go down different pathways, you know, good and bad, like kind of where does that lead you? And I think that time to reflect is a good skill to learn early on when I was a kid. And it's the same type of very simple things I like to do too well even now as we start to make decisions. And, uh, yeah, it's good. It's peaceful. I enjoy flying for the same reason. That. Was um, Do you feel that your character, that time that you just talked about, that was just something that spiritually came to you? Or were you influenced by your father or your brother or some other party that you sort of emulated or kind of were drawn to? Or is that just in, inside you? Hmm. You know, I think we're all born uh, with some special stuff inside of us. Whether we all connect to it or not is probably a different element. I think that's where environment starts to pull that out of you. And uh, another movie I love a lot is like Forrest Gump, right? And I was the baby of five. My oldest brother was a CTO for um, like what was AT&T Wireless, charge of international engineering. My sister is a business ethics professor. Um down in Santana, down at San Diego State. My other brother is another Air Force Academy grad, tech guy. My sister is uh, Seattle-based, like PR and marketing. And, you know, honestly, I would sit around that dinner table and I would just listen. And you would learn both from kind of like, I think, like with all people, these really amazing characteristics that you truly emulate. And just like a lot of things, you can also say that 
you know, people could get themselves in trouble, not just your, you know, your friends or your family, but just kind of understand like, yeah, that's probably not for me. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm, uh, I've always had a high EQ, emotional quotient, always learning from others and uh, really comfortable knowing what I know, but also comfortable knowing what I don't know. Amazing influencers, as you said, just um, growing up around the school systems. That's why I'm so passionate about teachers and coaches and what they bring us. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had amazing mentors and influencers all the way throughout my career path and really, uh, really blessed to have that. And uh, at the same time, I think we all need to be a little bit more present to receive that. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, actually, because one of the threads of commonality amongst a lot of the guys that I've, and gals that I've talked to is uh, parents who were teachers or vice principals. Mike, Mike Boyle's uh, father was a <laughs> vice principal as well, or a principal. Yep. What, yeah. what, what, um, I don't, did you go to the school that your dad was at? And if not, what, what did that impart in you? Was there, uh, I asked him the same question, but was there ever a sense of, geez, I got, I got to step up to school because my dad does that? Or how was that? <laughs> well, let me tell you, I didn't, um, so my dad was at high school, my mom was in middle school, and obviously, you know, a lot of the teachers and other administrators from elementary, middle, and high school, like, were kind of the family extended friends. Um, I got away with nothing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I think not only this, like, I had my mother for um, English, in eighth grade English. And Mrs. Verstegen, I called her all semester long. <laughs> That it was one of the rare times, and here's, here's a great lesson in character about teachers and just about, you know, the importance of values and character along the way. So it's eighth grade. It's one of the rare times I had all A's because, like, I would push myself that hard to get all A's, like maybe it's my brothers and sisters. I had all A's except for a B-plus in Mrs. Verstegen's class. <laughs> so I went in at the end of the day, and I said, Mrs. Verstegen, um, I've had all A's for like, you know, maybe the first time in years. And I have 899 out of a thousand points. Could you double check that you added up correctly to see if there's one point within the semester, uh, you know, that I could, that you, you might've overlooked. She ran her finger. My mom's super smart, ran her finger across an entire semester's worth of grades and did it in her head. Then she tapped at the end and said, nope, 899 points. And then I said, Mrs. Verstegen, is there anything I can do for extra credit? Can I recite one of the poems from the semester? Can I do clean the boards? Can I do anything to get one point? And she looked me dead in the eye and she says, Mark, you should have thought about that during the semester. 899 <laughs> points. I was like beyond myself, ticked off, went home, ticked off. And with that being said, um, I sat and I really thought about that a lot. Like at first I went from kind of the anger to like, how could she do that? And still one of the greatest life lessons of all time. And so I went upstairs to apologize for like maybe my facial expression or the rest. And my mom was cutting cheese and pickles as a snack she used to have um, after work. And I said, so I tried another angle, Scott. I said, Okay, and I understand I should have done the work during the semester. I, you know, opportunity doesn't come back. You need to take advantage of it while it's there. And I said, but with that being said, you know, my friend's getting five bucks for an A, four bucks for a B, three bucks for a C. And so I said, you know, with that, do you think we could start that and I could get paid X amount of dollars for these grades because I was trying to monetize it? <laughs> and she looked me again, dead in the eye, and she says, Mark, she goes, I, I, we are not paying for your grades. We never have. We never will. She goes, if you want to fail all your courses, go right ahead. Because you aren't getting your grades from me. She goes, this is your life. If you want to fail, go ahead and fail. You're the one that's going to have to live with it. And it's one of those things where I sat, I'm not, it's just like, I went from not getting the monetization of what my friends are getting for it to being like, because I always have done things and I still do things today to make mom and dad proud um, of the values that they instilled me. And at the same time, you really kind of, you've got a sense right there of like, wow, that's a powerful lesson. I'm not doing it from an extrinsic motivator. I'm doing it from like, hey, this is my life and I can dream and I can make what's, uh, make those dreams a reality by, you know, applying these same values, applying in believable work ethic and just adding value to whatever you choose to become involved with. And uh, that's great advice. And I, I mean, 
just blessed to have picked great parents and uh, great family and friends as well. What was the first time that um, maybe you can recall where you felt like you lived up to the expectations of your parents in a positive way? Like, I don't mean it in a, you know, an interrogatory manner, but it's like, you know, you, you sound like you, you really had excellent values from your parents and you were working towards sort of meeting them. Did you ever have a moment where you're like, you know, just a, a sense of pride, like you, you sort of stepped up, did what you were going to do and your parents were like super proud of what you did? You know, um, that actually gives me goosebumps, that question. Um, you know, I don't know that anyone, I think if you talk to my mom and dad, they'd probably say from like the earliest of ages. Um, like if my family was having like, you know, again, you're dealing with teenagers all the way down to younger me, I would always try to uh, bring everyone together, kind of identify what the issue was and then try to bring some resolution to it within the family. And you know, I think it's those types of things that probably mom and dad really appreciated, like even on the one-on-one, like appreciated those types of efforts. Mm. And um, yeah, but I could probably go through a whole series of things that, you know, it's unconditional love, right? You're raising a kid. I'm sure I was hard-headed and a pain in the fanny. And at the same time, they were really good about, you know, encouraging the positive. And there's a very high standard that, you know, this is not who we are if you acted out of that character. And mm. it was a very it's a very natural thing. And by the time you're the, you know, the fifth kid on the totem pole, you kind of figure out like, yeah, these are things that are acceptable and these are the ones that aren't. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. And I still, honestly, um, I lead my life today and my actions today and every, try to be very present in every moment with each individual. And still my actions would be driven are what mom and dad, you know, is this their expectation? Was that something that they would be proud of? Probably one of the funniest things that I get uh, from that is through, and it's funny how doing the simple things that you well in life are incredibly powerful, like just common courtesy, thank you, you know, appreciating people, um, those types of things. I don't know that I've gone to a board meeting or through almost any meeting if we've had like food or lunch involved, where like just intuitively I haven't got up and I haven't like the table, whether that was meetings with the NFLPA and the NFL, or whether that's our own board meetings, or with, and it was for no other reason, like that would just become the expectation. I was going to get up and I would, you know, I'm here to help and be productive within that. And I, I'll tell you what, Scott, that has blown more people away. And they start talking about servant leadership and they start talking about, you know, a lot of different things about my actions and about the respect and the humility. And to me, that's just doing the right thing. It's like, we just got done eating. I don't want people to sit around and have their food. Like, let me grab those plates, get it out of the way and focus. And it's just a nice gesture. And it's funny how people would probably say that's one of the top things that they'll remember around a meeting with me, which shows two things. One is the impact of doing simple things really well. And two is I'm really unimpressive uh, in the rest of the meeting. If busting the table is the most impressive thing at the meeting. So, you know, you got to stick to the simple things pretty well. Do them well and make an impression, right? Right, right. <laughs> tell tell me how all of this uh, lawn mowing and everything segues into human performance. How do you how do you get into that world, and, and what's the, what's the instigator for you in that? Yeah, well, listen, we went to a small school, and we normally had to play up against much bigger schools. So my dad and uh, my best friend's dad, uh, Mr. Caps, coach, basketball coach, athletic director. They were big into training way back in the day. And it was, you know, bigger, faster, stronger stuff, but we had athletic PE. And this is probably back in the, right, like late 70s and early 80s. Uh, by the time I graduated in 87 from high school, um, they would buy a piece of uh, like a squat rack and they'd take it immediately over to, I'm sure this wasn't, you know, good in the day, but this is how small budgets and schools went. Took it over to the metal shop and they'd stop more. In fact, that same equipment is still at Swim High School. And uh, we're working, I've added a lot of things to it over time, like soft goods and power blocks, and we're doing some more things. Um, but I also like the rawness of it. So we were in training uh, early on and plyometrics and speed work, and it was unbelievable looking back how advanced it was. And, you know, from that standpoint, I was always about that work ethic to try to gain a competitive advantage. And, you know, that was just part of how we worked as a school. And um, I really enjoyed it. I I love doing that. I love the coaches award and helping other type of people um, achieve with that. And ultimately, you know, it parlayed into the things that I had to sit back and look at the raw ingredients of life of what make me happy. 
Um, and you know, uh, if I looked at that, it was really, it was helping others. It was helping others achieve their goal. And I was at a career crossroads and I said, Hey, listen, this is what I'm passionate about. I was at Washington state. Um, and I had a career-ending injury, and I was already in the strength conditioning field. And I had a pretty strong vision about getting my sports science, exercise science, and also the nutrition, sport nutrition side. And so uh, at Washington State, I was fortunate enough to already be doing some volunteer work while I played. Had a career-ending injury, which took me into a whole kind of different reconditioning and rehab with a much more international influence to that and teaching movement and movement patterns. Um, did my undergrad in about three and a half years. I bet I was coaching between 40 and 50 hours a week uh, doing that. And that parlayed into like just true fulfillment. And it wasn't just the elite athletes out of things with my former teammates and helping them drop their 40 times to get better. I also had to run a class called Total Fitness that funded all our intercollegiate athletics to be able to get a budget necessary enough to go through and pay for equipment like way back in the day. I remember meeting Dennis Kaiser for the first time, right? Like we bought some equipment in Kaiser and um, that was probably back in like 89. And, uh, you know, that was my job. And I actually had just as much fulfillment doing that because the people, the person living inside the body were so deeply appreciative um, for all the things you're doing. And it's very similar to kind of how we structure between sport, military and population health now in our corporations and our corporate fund. So it, I'll tell you, I don't know that I've changed at all. And the fact I still mow lawns, I now have a grass air strip versus mowing the grass air strip. Um, I still love my dogs, uh, brings me great joy. And I, you know, I was out blowing and getting rowdy on my Yeti this morning, uh, you know, getting some flow state in there this morning. So things haven't changed a whole lot. I still like getting dirty. <laughs> Tell me about your, the audacious spirit that you had to build a business uh, a, a performance facility like you did at the time in your life that you did like that was that was a heck of a I mean I remember seeing the first one that you built and it was uh, quite impressive even by today's standards and and now yeah it was kind of funny because I looked at the date 1999 and I realized that you did that when you're around 30 years old I mean that's pretty impressive so how, how did you yeah. Just, just like I guess you'd mowed lawns to figure out how to do it, but where where did that come from that you thought you could build something like that and make it work? Yeah, and I would. There's probably a few strands on that. First of all, yeah, and planning for that started way earlier. You know, I was at Georgia Tech, had a great mentor, Jay Omer, there, and uh, was there for the few years prior to Olympics '94 to '96, and um, had this crazy vision to create something outside the NCAA and outside of the professional sport that, you know, how do we truly optimize uh, an environment for our athletes? And I went down and um, so what was then uh, Voluntary Academy, later IMG Academy, so I friend rebranded all that. And, you know, this concept was, you know, how do we think about it in a way, and this gets back to uh, created a brand called the International Performance Institute. It was a half a tennis court with a med ball wall in the middle. It was 1,200 square feet with Nick Baltieri's equipment facing the mirrors and like really so you could see his chest pump with the hammer strength. Um, and it wasn't a lot more than that. No budget, just big vision. But the goal was to really be able to optimize in a, a complete experience for someone, the person living inside the body that happened to be an athlete at the time and then through the long-term youth development that we did there. After about four years of that, you learn from positive cultures, you learn from negative cultures. If you read anything about Nick and kind of that uh, environment, it's a really interesting read, like if you read about that. Um, so Amy and I, I had a conversation when I came home after work and said, if we had all the money in the world, which we didn't, we said that we'd move out to the West Coast to be close to our family, have a family, and if we had all the money in the world, we'd build a small intimate training facility and pay our clients to come train so we could build a really special community of people that we wanted to be around. And that's really what launched it. And Amy, I left a really great situation to do just those things. And we've always made our decisions together and we're just about ready to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, she's still equally as intense as ever. But with that particular one, Scott, it actually it's one of those things that I always try to deride. Adidas is one of our partners at the time. Adidas said, if I ever wanted to do anything, they'd love to be involved. Uh, I shared with them that vision, putting intent out there in the world. 
they opened up the door to Arizona State University to have meetings with the president and the athletic director. It was very clear on what we wanted to create and carved out the first public-private venture with ASU, uh, brokered by Adidas. That was crazy confusing. I'm glad I didn't know what I didn't know, right? <laughs> and uh, when we start to um, look at that, what we did was exactly like the lawnmower store. We, uh, Adidas had built great trust in the values uh, that we represented. They believed in the vision. Don't know this would happen today. I signed a five-year partnership deal with Adidas. I took two and a half years of those, uh, two and a half years of those dollars upfront to secure a Wells Fargo and Business Development Finance Corp uh, loan in an industry that did not exist, building a purpose-built building, which they don't like because nine and a half out of 10 businesses go out of business. Uh, so in an industry that didn't exist, in a purpose-built building, which I said, hey, you could use it for like changing tires because we have glass roll-up garage doors, you should landscape, a lot of different things I gave them. And then we had to build it on leased land. So banks don't like that because they don't actually own the real estate underneath it. And at any time, the university can shut down and take that right underneath. And uh, like that's kind of where we started. We got it financed at four and a quarter points, which is pretty good back in the day. And, um, you know, that's how we did it. And we just started to try to work our way through this model and the concept. And the concept was this. Today, I would summarize it in uh, human capital optimization, human capital preservation, career longevity, career productivity, I can say it a half dozen ways. But it really is around the singular facility to try to, you know, to our mission statement, you know, first the goal is to understand and upgrade lives. And how we did that was by providing the finest performance systems, specialists, and platforms seamlessly integrated to efficiently and ethically enhance our clients' performance. And that's where it all started. And with that, when you, um, you know, there's probably enough about me. I have a pretty good, relentless determination, grit, um, in that commitment to helping people achieve their goals. And that's where we started. And I think from that, and I didn't take a salary for, you know, we couldn't probably for the first three and a half, four years, what you shouldn't probably do. Uh, stressful times, but again, glad I didn't know what didn't know, but I'll tell you, we attracted great people. You know, this early set of people that really helped us, some of which you've had, you know, on your show from the Sue Filsonis and Daryl Etos, Craig Freemans, Jeff Sassones, and, um, you know, really just started to build something that was never going to be more than one site. It was about tearing down those walls and seamlessly integrating all these different practices to work in the best interest of the client. And the logic chain on it was pretty simple. If you are fully responsible to your client, right, in that time it was our athlete. What is the most optimal methodology, global best practices that you need to help that person achieve their goals? Mm-hmm. And I'd be really honest about that, where it's going to go today, where it's going tomorrow. And then you have to ask the third layer, which is, all right, well, if you want to run that methodology, what specialists do you really need to have to do that? And that's a broad group of specialists, but they all had one thing that they were going to need to have in common, which is open and growth-mindedness. Because my goal was, regardless of whether they came in as a physical therapist or an athletic trainer or nutrition or performance, you know, whether it was strength or speed or any of the different related recovery practices, you're going to start there. But six now, six months from now, you better have a really intimate understanding of this complete system and being able to probably have 50% domain knowledge so you can reinforce this seamlessly integrated plan. So if I have the client, I know what their needs are, and I've understood that. We have an optimal methodology approach to it. We have the specialists to run it. After that, it's now removing friction out of the system. What do I need to allow those specialists to have sustainable high performance and making sure that there's little friction so that they can optimize this athlete experience, um, uh, you know, in a nice little flow that leaves them energy at the end of the day for the things they're passionate about. That was building the facility. And the facility was a home to this culture, uh, which we're passionate about, to these ideas and to hold each other accountable to fulfilling our responsibility to our clients. And then the last one of the foundation of Pyramid, which you think about while you're mowing bonds, is can you make it a business, right? Can you sustain this enough to be around long enough to do something relevant enough to make the impact? And that's a challenge is you really have to logic chain that through and make sure that you're engineering a sustainable, high-performance system. You know, both if you want to be a world-class solution and product, 
right? Services. You better be a world-class business to be around long enough to take care of your people, to be able to invest in clients and invest in what you need uh, to continue to try to stay at the bleeding edge and fulfill that responsibility. And that literally was the myopic focus um, that, you know, we didn't even come up for air on. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where it started with that sole intent. And then, yeah, now we're over, I think we're right around 600 facilities globally and probably closer to probably upwards of 5,500 um, teammates globally, 2,000, 1,800 full-time, and then probably another set of amazing contractors out there that uh, are in and out of our walls daily. Wow. I remember walking into that facility, um, the original one, and to the left it said work, and to the right it said rest. And you were kind of ahead of your time. You have a good in, memory. Yeah, in um, – <laughs> In in c- connecting with the value of rest, you 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 opt you engage square footage in a space. Um, I mean that's a, that's unheard of that people spend yeah. the, the amount of square footage you did on rest um, and the time on rest. And when you talk about your philosophies, which I encountered numerous years ago and really uh, you know connected with, but this idea of mindset rest as, as almost equivalence to the work side was you were ahead of your time and thinking that what, what instigated that in you, what, what was intuitively in you that you knew that that was, that needed to be optimized just as much as work needed to be optimized. Yeah. I mean, if you really break down sustainable high performance and I had been fortunate enough through my time, um, you know, to have spent time with, uh, tactical military people at that time, first responders, uh, government agencies, um, executives, leaders, you know, to really special people. And, and whether you're a concert pianist or a neurosurgeon or a elite athlete or an executive, what you start to realize is it's an integrated approach. And if you don't have the proper mindset first, then you're probably not going to make it. Second, and, and you might make it for a while, but ultimately you're going to have some type of Achilles heel um, and it's going to pull you down. Second, you need to fuel for it, for cognitive performance, for your physical performance. Third, we need to make sure you move, that you can decrease pain, prevent pain, perform. And um, how we integrate that to also drive both cognitive performance and um, you know physical performance if your job relies a lot more on that. And then ultimately, recovery is a limiting factor for performance. And having grown up in an age where, you know, there's probably more rampant drug use and some of the different things, if you were going to provide back to the mission statement, um, you know, efficient and ethical solutions for your client, we can't leave any ethical stone unturned to help optimize recovery. And that's where we have that work plus rest equals success. And you're exactly right. That uh, facility, which <laughs> was a million dollars over budget time, which we did not have, maybe a million and a half, and had a contract to go chapter 11 and 7 during the process of that, in which I had to go work out another 33 liens against the facility, all while trying to stay in business in an industry that didn't exist. It was like, <laughs> I look back on that as a really fun, rewarding time, but it was, again, just kind of necessary. And again, none of this stuff is a super highway without speed bumps, right? And I think people look at where we're at today and think, oh, it's all been easy, and it hasn't. Uh, it's every day is game day. And you're going to get knocked on your ass, and it's just a matter of what you learn from it, and try not to let it happen again, and just uh, continue to move forward with great positive uh, impact. And so, you know, with that, you know, more or less being said, we we couldn't leave any ethical stone unturned. So, you, if you want sustainable high performance, you have to have a great mindset, nutrition, movement, recovery, and those are not four vertical independent pillars. What I love right now about where we're at with the research and everything else coming out is people are starting to understand the interrelatedness between, say nutrition and cognition, right? Like in our gut health and how, you know, if it's our, is it a one-way path from our brain to our gut or is it a two-way street that's going from our gut to our brain and back or is it a one-way path from gut to brain? And I think those are the types of things, even through movement quality and driving, you know, cognitive performance and then obviously like quality of sleep and how sleep drives cognitive performance. And um, Craig Friedman and Amanda uh, Carlson led our, our performance innovation team for a long time. And, and that mindset, nutrition, movement, recovery represents itself in over 500 page referenced white paper that is our and has been our true north. We don't expect our team to know it because we're more about doing simple things to have to do well. But from a scientific true north and what we add to, 
that's what it's always been, and that's what allows us to really make the decisions we have to continue to evolve uh, in that direction of that open and growth-mindedness. And that's why we all, as professionals as well, personally and professionally, have to embody that sustainable high-performance approach. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that that's ultimately the offering that we offer to our, our corporations. We have over 30% of the Fortune 100 uh, helping them with their human capital optimization, preservation from nutrition to fitness centers to all the different things we do. Um, and that's probably over 450 doors uh, right now. But like we had to practice that as a staff because our we didn't get off seasons, right? We didn't get, you know, traded. We got cut. And it was just a matter of how do we help our team sustain, which ultimately became really valuable and that sustainable high performance to help other organizations sustain like we have to uh, be around. Mm. What's um, been internally rewarding for you when you look at some, I mean, you mentioned it. I've spoken to numerous of these people on my podcast with Sue and Nick Winkleman and Brett Bartholomew. And you look at these guys and what they're doing in their own careers. How does that feel in your, in your heart after the, the moments that you've spent with them and the mentorships that you've provided them and what is, what has come back to you in those relationships? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, um, number one, super happy for each of them as people, right? And I'm not just the people who are out there and also, you know, Joe Combs, Darcy Normans and Etos and the Grips and all the people throughout like the NFL and the NBA. And all. It's, for me, it's, it's not about that as much as it's about them as individuals, about um, the life that they have created, uh, the rewarding relationships that they have in life and, and watch that manifest and many of them amazing families, kids, that makes me fulfilled. And I think then professionally it is an expectation uh, that if they are, uh, you know, many of those people you mentioned were with us for over a decade and sometimes, you know, encouraged like a Sue had a great opportunity after everything that we accomplished together. It's like, Sue, it's, it's time. Like you need to go run through this door and I'm going to be here for you. And, you know, you need to go with it. And I think that that's the expectation that they're going to go out and represent that they need to do that with the same type of values and the same type of responsibility to truly understand and upgrade lives through their unique lens. And um, that's the expectation that that brings me a lot of fulfillment as well as our amazing team that we have around us every day. It's uh, regardless of where I go globally, I leave absolutely inspired by interacting with our team. Hmm. I asked this to lots of people and I'm really curious whether you, what your answer is going to be because I feel uh, that you have life worked out in some sense, but maybe there's a, maybe there's hmm. a, something interesting to hear here, but what has been the cost of being good at what you do? Like what, what, what have you, what have you paid out of you that you, you know, you feel was, was a bit of a, a deep sacrifice to be able to achieve what you've achieved? You know, I don't, um, it's an amazing question, an insightful question. I don't know that I thought a lot about. I think I've always been all in. Uh, it's taken a tremendous amount of time and energy and effort, which I'm ecstatic to give. You know, love is probably a, a boundless, uh, endless well, if you really want to channel that in the right way. And if you're leading an aligned purpose, driven life and it's not just through passion but you're also backing that up with the right mindset nutrition movement recovery that actually you know gives you the raw materials necessary to sustain um you know i think yeah it's been a tremendous amount of investment but i like that and it's been incremental right it's been toward a a common direction and goal and the same with my the things that uh, i had a vision for personally uh outside of work um has been a very similar kind of very progressive step that people look at maybe 20 years or 30 years later and it's like, oh, wow, that's a lot. And you're like, well, not really. It's been step by step toward that, you know, just a clear vision. You know, the cost, um, you know, Amy and I have been together for 29 years. We're going to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. Uh, she's probably dealt with somebody who leaves uh, every day as game day, probably exhausted. Um, probably sometimes when you're this close to somebody who's your soulmate, you know, they probably get wrapped into um, being deprioritized, and obviously our brand is uh, brand mantras, caring for the caregiver. And sometimes when you're that close to people, right, you can 
leave all your energy on the playing field, not necessarily for home. Um, and with that said, Amy is absolutely amazing. Uh, any of the people that have come across her realize she is just an absolute force of nature as well. We've made all our decisions together, uh, both personally and professionally. We've been all in, and there is an absolute transparency in how we lead our lives and where we stand and where we prioritize our relationship. And I think I've been really blessed to have that. And uh, so I think, you know, that's probably going to be a piece of it. And, you know, there's times where I've traveled a lot, a couple million miles. And Amy always says, careful what you wish for. It's hard. Like, I'd love to just be at home. I like the simple things. I love spending time with dogs and with Amy and with my friends and being in nature, doing those types of things. And uh, I'm on the road a lot and was on the road a lot. And really strategically probably the last five years to try to curtail that. Um, and I think those are probably the sacrifices that you probably had over time. How did you guys meet each other? Uh, well, funny you ask, because we actually met, um, yeah, so we met at Washington State. Amy had come off, uh, she had signed with Washington State, and then in the, uh, her senior year in the state finals blew out her knee. So she entered Washington State during rehab. I had showed up to school early, and the uh, weight room was closed. She was walking down the hall, and I opened up the door to go grab a drink, and I almost ran her over. I stepped my head back in and uh, looked at one of my longtime friends, mentors, Roger Scharnhorst, and said, Roger, Roger, who's she? And uh, <laughs> Roger came out the other door and said, hey, Amy. And I was like, oh, he knows her. And, uh, you know, if I fast forward from that, um, she was in riding the bike. I was working in the weight room uh, just before I'd kind of taken the, the official job as the student assistant through my undergrad. And I was changing out the shower caps because we put shower caps over the electronics back in the day of the spin bikes and the Versa climbers and all that. <laughs> and she looked at me and asked if I worked there. And that's kind of what started the conversation. So uh, I think our first date was watching a volleyball game introduced by one of the volleyball players and uh, never looked back since. That's awesome. How'd you ask her to marry you? Oh, yeah. I put some planning into that. Uh, I had gone off to Georgia Tech and uh, had provided Andy a, a promise ring. And uh, I came, flew back in, met her in Seattle. And uh, I had saved up a bunch of money and I stayed one night at the Four Seasons. And uh, had Amy there, took her out to a nice dinner. And then my sister, who lived in Seattle, went to the room while we were out and uh, brought in the champagne and brought in some... Uh, healthy type foods, just knowing like you can imagine Amy and I were pretty focused and uh, driven. She's still probably one of the, yeah, she met all 26 qualifications. I'll just say that. Uh, Amy did in exceeding my expectations. Uh, looking back, I probably should have had like 29 qualifications and she probably said she should have just had one or two big ones <laughs> for me. She would have liked to add to the list. So, um, yeah. And so, yeah, anyway, we got back from dinner and she saw that there and I proposed and then, yeah, it was pretty awesome. And then she had to finish up school. I went back to Georgia tech to uh, keep coaching and, uh, then we got married July 30th. Um, like I said, yeah, almost 25 years ago. And that coincides with Lake Coeur d'Alene, which has been a, about a half 45 minutes from her, where she grew up, had a 50 year history now with my family and Amy and I've since kind of made that our Lake Coeur d'Alene, uh, family compound. Uh, that's our family legacy that brings her family and my family together. A lot of the, the year, leave the float plane up there. And it's just a big family hub for us. And that's kind of how we define our family legacy. So it's been an amazing journey. And uh, yeah, love it. Glad I didn't know what I didn't know. And she's been an absolutely amazing partner and uh, recently retired like five, six years ago. And it's equally as intense about all things. <laughs> what's what's the secret of a 25-year marriage in your opinion or do you share your wisdom of of keeping something like that no i mean listen i it's it goes back to the same things that we talk about to create great organizations or anything else number one it's always about the person living inside the body two we need to make sure that you have your common interests and that we're aligned and what we set our goals out to be and if you have alignment and you have great values and just clear communication through that, you can achieve anything together with anyone. And I would say the same thing, like on our employee side versus like what Amy and I um, are blessed enough to share. 
uh, so long as we have core values and we know what our intent uh, is and where we're, we're trying to go, it's not going to be, like I said, a super highway without speed bumps, but we'll always be able to talk things through based on the values that we share. And I think Eamon have always had and shared that clear vision. We continue to set it. Um, I remember back, Scott, it was probably, I don't know, it might have been 20 years ago. We'd started the project. We were all in. We were exhausted. One of our friends had left the Boulders Resort early, so he said, hey, why don't you come up and take this last night I have on the resort? Um, and Amy and I had a, a great conversation. It's just about laying out, like, where do we want to go? And what are these things? I don't want to list out, like, have to achieve the checklist. But it was family, financial security, and freedom. Those are just kind of the three big buckets as we made decisions we needed to keep at kind of the forefront, and that helped guide us for the last 20-year chapter. And, um, you yeah, know, now it's as we continue to be like you're talking to the ultimate funkle, because I'm the fun uncle, and how we're investing in our family and Aunt Fancy. Uh, Amy and I are like, we're all in and um, passionate about that this next chapter. What what are the next 50 years about with you? Next 50? I'm giving, yeah, you, a well, I'm giving you 100. You could probably get past oh, yeah. it. Hey, listen, based <laughs> on how like this morning goes and like my internal systems for sustainable high performance, which like I, I spent a lot of time and investment in um, to make that super efficient. Like, um, you know, I, I can get into that as a whole separate probably topic about, you know, our daily patterns to sustainable high performance. I believe in lifespan, which we can, or, you know, we can have an argument whether we can change or not. Normally I'd say no, but I think with some of the stuff happening around DNA and some reboots, but it's lifespan, health span, and a lot of us are passionate about play span. And I think um, that's no different than our human capital optimization preservation, kind of like this, how, how close to your best can you live for as long? Uh, and enjoy doing the things that you're passionate about doing. And I think uh, I take daily steps toward that throughout the day. And, you know, for me, it's going to involve family. And when I say family, it's my close group of friends, you know, many of them who are my teammates at Exos and um, our godchildren and nieces, nephews. You know, right now we're caring up, caring up for my parents um, who are in their mid-80s, caring up for Amy's parents who just spent seven weeks with us caring across to our brothers and sisters and, you know, then ultimately how we're able to start to think about that next generation, next generations and fill the values and the opportunities for them to have success. And that's going to be a big part of it. We'll mix in with that, like our time at Lake Coeur d'Alene, um, our time that we spend in our place in Sedona or in Phoenix. And uh, it'll also involve venture, a lot of experiential adventures with the friends. I love flying, love mountain biking, um, love mixing those things. If I can, you know, like riding to me growing up was as close as you could have to flying. And the only thing you can have now is like flying to go riding to like this kind of miracle miles. And that's, you know, I'll fly up sometimes before or after work to Sedona, drop into the hangar, pull the RZR, go mountain bike ride. Um, sometimes I'll go to the house up there or just hop back in, grab breakfast at the airport restaurant, fly back and still be in a meeting by noon. So it's just, you know, I want some of those adventures, but to, you know, part of those uh, are unlocking these experiences and experiences for others, which is really powerful for us. In the next 50 years, I think this first 50 has been about creating, um, like we go back to our training terms, you and I have probably talked about over time, accumulating potential and expressing potential, which is probably a Istvan Balier, um, speaking of some great Canadians and, you know, Wayne Grimmick-Katorski, uh, Grimmick you know, you start talking about some great people there. Um, you know, we're... I think now about the expression of the potential and I say the same thing is probably true of excess. Mm. I'm going to segue for a moment to a little piece. Yeah. I, do. I read my, uh, the purpose of the person that, uh, from my little book, yours actually caught me by surprise. It didn't uh, rock me as connected to the man that I've met and stuff, but it, I'll read it anyways. It says uh, June 9th, Gemini nine to use all aspects of life as a means to get you where you need to go to end passivity and to take responsibility for wherever you are balancing your needs with your desire to help others and live in a perfect world. I read Holy the, smokes. May <laughs> I get a quote of that? Yeah, sure. I can re-listen to that. Or maybe you can bring it with you and you come down to do your, uh, your course down here, your reconditioning course in Arizona in November. Maybe you have to bring that passage with you or when you come down and are blessing us uh, to talk to our whole staff that's flying in, 
uh, globally and having you present to them here. And what is that? September, we're going to do that. Yeah. Continuous improvement, Exos Continuous Improvement Summit. So thank you for doing that. And we're also excited to host you down here in November for your reconditioning course. Thank you. I'm excited to come down and spend some time down there. I've had a deep admiration for what you guys are doing. So if I can contribute it to in any way, shape awesome. or form, that would be great. I'll read you one piece that says if spirit takes lead, because I know you've got spirit deep inside you. Spirit and the number nine are very idealistic together. They don't know how to give less than everything. Here to do it all, they have trouble choosing. Their perfectionist nature often takes, let's, sorry, makes them let go of it all because they can't do it all the way they want. They need to learn to love themselves and not try so hard to be the best. Many steps lead one to the top. They need to take them one at a time. They, when they learn to pace themselves, make a choice, and follow it, the world becomes a pleasant place. Man, Scott, if you could have provided me that, like, I don't know, 40 <laughs> years ago, that would have been super, super helpful. Because each of those words to me absolutely resonated. And honestly, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I go to and we talk about culture and leadership and the great people that you mentioned and the great people that make up our team exos here. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to say I was pretty obsessive compulsive on this seamlessly integrated system, how everything works and like the importance of each step. And we didn't truly start making progress until I got out of the way and let people actually go do what they do well. And I've always surrounded myself with really special people who are also great professionals. And it's been an inspiration to watch them grow and also the discipline to stay the heck out of the way. And uh, really, proud of, really proud of my skill to do that from you know, where we started to where we're at today. And those roles will continue to change and evolve, um, you know, just like all of our relationships will. Where do you find inspiration today? Oh, you know what? Based on your quotes right there, I don't know that I go throughout my day with not being inspired, like, if not one real significant inspiration, if not dozens. Um, and that's part of, like, the path that I chose. I wanted to follow my passion, which meant that instead of flying around the world and going up to see or learn from you uh, or going to Australia, the rest like I could walk down the hall, our clients inspire me. Uh, think about what we do with our, um, you know, everything in our military tactical world. I, I deal with people that the human spirit, they've been told they wouldn't return to duty. And, you know, a lot of these special operations, men and women, and we have a nonprofit, the, the Eagle Fund, and they've run this comeback initiative where we've seen over a thousand men and women um, run through this nonprofit with over 95% success rate of return to duty and probably more important, like return to the person the word that their family, you know, loves and relies on. And at the same time, our athletes are amazing, not as athletes, but as the people inside that are willing to like lead their life in such a high definition way where they don't get tired of the process and they love the process and the relationships, the process and that journey like that richness there. And, and I walk inside our organizations and see our team helping people inside corporations um, and our community centers, cradle to grave community centers, right? It's amazing. And you'll run across somebody who's like 97 years old and they've got a spring in their step and a smile in their eye. And, you know, I just, I go in and I'm just like blown away at the quality of the goodness. And when I walk in uh, to any of our sites or I kind of walk into any environment, the first thing I'd walk into, just like when, you know, I talk about your or James. If I walked in there, I just want to see how many smiles are in the room. Smiles from, you know, your teammates, smiles from the people receiving the services. And like, is that the culture of positivity that we want people to be in? And that, it just brings inspiration. I was in nature today, like riding through uh, our desert. It's really gorgeous right now. Oh, man, the cactus and the flowering. I mean, it's just amazing. The big chunky rocks, um, you know, kind of just work on the process. Um, mm. Love it. Gain inspiration all the way throughout. When I start my day, and it's funny because I, I got a new quote the other day, which is great. But, you know, wake up, and the first thing that runs through my head is just gratitude, just giving thanks. And that inspiration starts at the very first thing I've always uh, started with. And I think it's unbelievably powerful and kind of setting the right behavioral uh, traits. Um, you know, I roll out of bed, I hydrate, I jump right in that preheated infrared sauna. 
and start, you know, giving a little bit of thanks there, get some breathing stuff going, get the mind turned on and just uh, hydrating real well. Get a dose of coffee about 30 to 60 minutes later. And then, you know, from that cold plunge or pool, um, you know, some soft tissue. And then I put performance centers in the houses like that are awesome. Kaiser functional trainers, power plates, half racks, uh, suspension training, like I see behind you right now, like all the fun stuff. And then today was so beautiful. I was supposed to get a ESD, like a conditioning thing. And I just said, I got to go roll the mountain bike. So yeah, hopped up. We're aiming to build a new house in the preserve and just go, uh, roll that out, came out here, hopped in the cold plunge for that. And then get to come have a conversation with you. Like life's good. And it's not even uh 11 or 12 o'clock yet. That's awesome. Brett uh, Bartholomew sent me a note on uh, inspiration of a few questions. It mentioned an epic day of mountain biking with you and uh, was quite an, a memory for him, for him, but it, it sounded oh, yeah. like he, he had trouble keeping up with you. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a whole different thing. And that's probably fair to say, like, I still like to go riding with the puppies, but you know, to Brett's fairness, he hadn't gone out like he had mountain bikes, but you know, he's all in. And then it started snowing the night before, and we were doing some sketchy trails. Unlike the point where I would say that Brett absolutely crushed me, we were in Hawaii, NFLPA. We were, like, in Kapalua, and he wanted to climb, like, out the back. There was literally, like, a five-mile run, and I'm not a runner. I said, all right, I'm in, and I went with a couple of our other teammates. I was in terrible shape um, at the time. I traveled a lot. uh, My dad had just gone through some health things in the hospital, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be shitty, but I'm going to be all in. And it was like, you know, it was like before and after this comedy. I got to the top and I'm like, Brett, that sucked. Like, that sucked. So it all, it all works its way around. But I love throwing myself into stuff with, you know, great people. And yeah, it's a ton of fun. Well, Sue Falsoni said that I would have a fantastic conversation with you. And I have. Uh, I will finish I will finish with my final normal question, which is uh, you will pass from this earth one day, um, hopefully for a long time. How would you like to be remembered by people? Oof. So I probably can answer that in a not very interesting way. I'm not a big guy on legacy. Um, you know, legacy to me are like footsteps in the sand that it's just going to be washed right back over um, rapidly. And I hope that's the way in the case. Um, with probably the people that know me that they probably have hopefully in some small way I've helped them move toward achieving their goals or their vision for their life in some positive way. And, you know, I think just in summary, hopefully just positive value driven, purpose driven work ethic, um, always eager like coach Wood, not willing, but eager to just, you know, lean in and help people, uh, where they're at. And, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, like I said earlier, I still want my mom and dad to be proud of me, you know, today and in the afterlife. I want to work on being a great husband. I want to be a great brother. I want to be a um, great godfather and friend. And, uh, you know, from a professional standpoint, like, it's just I want to continue to learn and get better and provide really special minds the opportunity to do the work necessary to truly understand and upgrade lives because, you know, Ethos is about to take a, the next chapter in the next decade to truly focus on this, you know, proactive health and performance, that it isn't just for the elite, that it's for all of us. And I think that's a work that we started off with and our, you know, realizing that in sport and military, you have seven to 15 support staff for every one performer. You've been a part of those ecosystems. I've been a part of that for a long time. And we are passionate about democratizing the power of proactive health and performance for everybody when they're probably supporting seven to 15 people in addition to themselves. Mm. And I think that's kind of where the goodness is really coming and the fulfillment all the way back from my youth to now. And, um, yeah, if I keep serving others that way, I, I know that, uh, you know, we'll hopefully make the world a little better place. Good on you for your desire to serve. Thank you for taking an hour out of your day to spend with me. Much appreciated. And it's been, uh, been an honor to, to hang with you. So. Yeah. Absolutely honored. And uh, thank you for all the great work you're doing on the podcast and the insights that, you know, we gained, you know, from those and part of or honored to be part of the community that you've created. Looking forward to having your expertise, you know, spread around our great team of leaders at Exos here and our continuous improvement summit at Exos in September and then more so on 
you're a good course we're going to bring in here in November and uh, open up our home to you and uh, let you work your goodness. So I'll look forward to uh, coming in and gaining some guidance and wisdom and hopefully we'll be able to go grab some nutritious, you know, delicious and nutritious uh, food during the time too. Well, hopefully my lovely wife, Jamie, can meet your lovely wife, Amy, and we can have something to eat together. That's, uh, we'll do it. All right. Pre- prerequisite. Thank you, sir. Thank, Thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.